Today's episode is brought to you by Bit.com. You'll be hearing more about them later on in today's interview, which begins right now. Really happy to welcome Teddy Valley, Chief Investment Officer and founder of Perry Valley Global, a macro hedge fund. Teddy, welcome to Forward Guidance. Good to be here. Thanks. It's great to have you here, Teddy. I've wanted to have you on my podcast really since it began, but you've been a hard man to pin down. You haven't done any media and you've chosen to really focus on trading and, and focus on following the markets. And Teddy, I wanted to take us back to a call that you and I had in December where I, I asked you, hey, Teddy, can you come on my podcast? And, and you said, no, you wanted to focus on trading. And you said you were short a few things. I said, so what are you, sh- what are you short, Teddy? And do you remember what you said? Um, I think it was everything except crude oil. Why were you short everything? Our, our process is effectively figuring out where growth is going to be over the next, call it, 12 to nine to 12 months. Um, at the time coming, I'd say through the back half of last year, I was still of the view that that growth was going to be pretty robust. Um, and all indications, um, that I had from a data perspective continued to show that, um, at the same time, we relied very, very heavily on the markets and the markets were pricing in a significantly, I believe the 10 year at the end of the year was around one, three, nine, uh, don't, don't quote me on that, but in the vicinity of that. And um, we were looking at, at, at market internals that were implying 10 should be at least um, 100 basis points higher. So it was one of the largest disconnects that I've seen um, historically. And to me, it seemed one that that rates needed to move pretty, pretty materially. Um, and the Fed was completely off sides uh, from both inflation and growth perspective. Um, that led me to think that, okay, if the Fed acts and moves pretty aggressively, that's going to really materially um, hurt multiples due to higher real rates, tighter financial conditions, which is going to really hurt the technology sector, given some of the premiums that you're seeing there on the multiple side. Um, and it's, it's going to affect equities broadly. Um, and then the bonds aren't going to like it either, especially given the fact that they're trading, you know, hundred basis points cheap to where we thought um, rates should effectively be. So it was, it was from our process that said, look, we still have a runway where we have a, a, an area of growth uh, called for the next three to four months. Um, and the markets were just so mispricing uh, a, a, a hawkish Fed. And, you know, here we are today, 240 basis points later, later on, um, call it two years. Um, and it's a materially different, different scenario from where we're then. So I'd say... Um, it, it fortunately worked out and that's, you got at the end of the day, you need to stick to your process and listen to the markets. And that's sort of what we did. So you were short the two year because of the fed. You were also short the 10 year and the 30 year. What was your thinking there? I thought one from a growth perspective, you know, if we have some of the strongest nominal growth that we've seen historically uh, with some of the largest inflation prints, how is it that, how's it that tens are trading at, you know, 200 basis points cheap to where they were the prior highs of the last cycle. Um, especially given that a lot of these market internals were saying that growth was significantly higher. Um, so the twos, you know, were primarily more of a fed reaction function to inflation. Um, and the long end was more reaction function to both inflation and growth being much stronger than, than many, um, many thought. And, you know, it's interesting, even just four months ago, no one thought that we could have any type of hiking process. I mean, there was multiple people I spoke to that said, look, the Fed's no way they're going to be able to do any type of QT because the market's going to fall apart. So it was just this ingrained view that people, had, you know, cycle over cycle have just, it's worked, but, you know, you, you, timing is a huge thing. 
and you know path versus destination and situation here um destination they might be correct in terms of where rates end up but the path um was pretty ugly um to get there so a lot of things were just just completely off from from a sentiment perspective and also from a fundamental perspective and uh fortunately we were able to take advantage of that and you were also short stocks right exactly right we're net short stocks uh we were long brazil which which we found is trading significantly at a discount it's a huge discount to commodity prices um and we're long brazil against and energy equities um against the basket of, of tech names um as well as broad sort of industry stuff um that's more of an done on an active basis so all that's now um we've taken that all all off effectively and have sort of repositioned for the next called six to nine months you've taken off all your shorts on on stocks uh the, the relative trade so brazil is no we no longer have brazil on um we are net still net short equities um however through the options market um and looking for you know we can get into it in, in more detail but i think the backdrop right now is pretty precarious um and difficult to have a, a positive view on risk assets which maybe is the therefore leads to you know okay maybe you should have a view if that's if it's so tough to be positive but for me um and we can get into this more in detail but for me the fed needs to to walk back their their current tone to have any type of positive sort of um, view on risk assets for the next six to nine months. Why? All right. So like I mentioned before, we, we have a pretty serious leading indicator process. And if we look out 12 months from now, uh, it's pretty clear to us that global growth is going to be moving much lower. Um, so you add that with the confirmation now from the markets. If you look at market internals, um, Housing stocks relative to low vol is down 30% from the high. High beta to low beta um, is down, or to low vol is down, call it 25%. Utes, uh, financials relative utilities is down 25%. Consumer discretionary relative to consumer staples is down another 28% from the high. So the internals of the market are telling you that growth is fading fast. And now why, why is this? One, we just had the largest tightening cycle in the history of, of uh I maybe publicly traded markets on a two-year. I, I think from the available data that I have, mortgage rates have one of the largest moves in history. Uh, the two-year just had on a six-month rate of change basis had the biggest move since 1987. Um, you've had the Fed from a rate of change basis go from still buying you know 100 billion of of bonds to effectively rolling off their balance sheet in an incredibly short time. So we've had the fastest tightening cycle. Um, in history, especially if you factor in the Fed's balance sheet, which is you know leading to significantly adverse things in in, in some of the economic data. So if you look at mortgage applications, for example, it's like fifty to sixty percent off um, off its prior highs. Um, you're starting to see the average sort of credit card spend in, in a basket of uh, the average spend at, at, at um, you know point of sale being down materially, which historically is correlated with ISM. ISM new orders is getting smoked. Um, I think all that stuff continues to go lower based on the leading indicators, and it's now sort of being confirmed by the markets. Um, the trucking sector, which is one of the most economically sensitive sectors, is getting absolutely slammed relative to sort of low-ball equities, which has historically been a very, very correlated to the ISM also. Um, so you're seeing this monster tightening in the economy, uh, and the Fed, I think, is 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 
as I talked about at the beginning of 2021, I said, ultimately, the Fed, by focusing on the unemployment rate, is going to be a policy error. And the reason it's going to be a policy error is the, the, the unemployment rate is so lagging. Um, and it's just a completely inaccurate picture of the economy at, at the present time and over the next few months. Um, the reason I say that is because there's roughly a million people that, that left the labor force um, and retired early because their household net worth went up by $27 trillion. Um, there's another million people that started their own businesses because the government was effectively financing everyone's balance sheet. Um, so you had a significant amount of people outside the labor force that were holding up the unemployment rate. However, they had jobs or had enough capital to, to finance themselves and continue consumption at a current rate or even a higher rate. Um, so finally, you know, we get to this point like three or four months ago where the unemployment rate comes down significantly and the Fed's like, oh, oh shit, we're like, we need to move. So not only are they moving, they're moving at an incredibly fast rate. And the issue is they, 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 they're they no longer caring about the economy. Um, they've said, I think the most important line that Powell's mentioned is we can't have a strong labor market unless we get inflation under control. That effectively green lights a recession. Um, if, if you if you see slowing growth, but you still have inflation, it's Powell's view that it doesn't matter because inflation is still an issue. Um, you know, that and you heard more recent comments from him saying, you know, we're no longer going to wait for the supply side to figure itself out to get inflation under control. So he's coming for the throat of inflation, regardless of what's happening on the economic backdrop. So that scenario, if you think about liquidity, um, markets do very well when there's a lot of positive liquidity. If you think about the especially crypto, right? Crypto is one of the most liquid, um, positive liquidity correlated assets there is. Um, global growth, all of Bitcoin's returns have come during global growth up cycles and liquidity cycles. Um, so right now, if you think about liquidity and sort of risk assets, we are net, we now have the one of the tight, tightest tightenings um, that we've seen, I think, historically. So it, it's just difficult to say, okay, look, I like risk assets here. Uh, if I'm wrong, I don't really care. As I mentioned, I, we're sort of structured in the options market, so we're not going to lose a lot. But I, I just think it's probably four down, one up type of thing, maybe three down, one up. Um, for stocks. In, for, for, yeah, for risk assets, any risk assets. So I, I put crypto in there as well. Um, until Powell you know, capitulates. Now, let's add two other factors to, to this sort of equation that we have here. Russia invades Ukraine, which creates a whole new distribution of supply side issues for commodities, um, especially, you know, uh, energy, um, natural gas in Europe uh, and crude oil. So this new this new problem is manifesting itself in Europe, which likely goes into recession given the, the price of electricity over there. Um, and also domestically in the U.S. is really adversely hurt sort of the U.S. consumer. Um, given that retail gas prices are up, you know, 25 to 30 percent, I still think you have some potential more upside. Right now, it's 1.9 percent of PCE, and you haven't seen a material um, decline in consumption until we get to like call it 2.9, so another 100 basis points. That said, it's not helpful. Um, it's not helpful to to have you know one of your main input costs go higher. So energy um, as a percentage of PCE personal consumption. Personal consumption, yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly correct. Um, it's still quite small given that personal consumption has gone up, but it's the, the move that it's had recently is um, somewhat alarming and it's not going to help. Um, and then if I'm, I think, you know, the supply demand side on, on crude right now 
although this is this is changing and you know it's pretty fluid, uh, still fa- favors it to the upside. Um, so you have now the energy situation really adversely affecting both the U.S. and specifically Europe. So Europe's in a tough shape. Add on to that, the, I think the big the big elephant in the room that no not a lot of people have have factored in yet is um, is these shutdowns in China. So forty percent of China's GDP is effectively locked in right now. You know, it's some of it's coming back online slowly, but it's the question is, okay, when, if, is this how they're going to continuously deal with COVID? Um, and if this is continuously how they're going to deal with COVID, then there's a huge problem. The reason there's a huge problem is that China drives 48% of all global GDP growth. Uh, this year, you've got, call it IMF at 3.6% for where GDP is going to be um, on a year-on-year basis at the end of the year. If we assume those old numbers, call it 1.8% is from China historically driven, um, if they lock down 40% of the economy, you know, think about adding 40% of your economy to GDP. GDP would be absolutely bananas, right? It would be, you know, almost, you know, 50% higher from the, the actual numbers. You're now subtracting 40%. So we could actually have just from China alone, if they continue this type of policy, a negative global growth picture just from China. Then you add in the one of the largest tightening cycles we've seen from the United States, and you add in the energy picture in Europe and the tightening that's going on in Europe, and you have a very um, precarious situation that's that's tough to uh, own risk assets um, until a couple variables change. I think one, the Fed needs to chill. Uh, it's clearly they're clearly. I think this is a policy error. The, the policy error was them not moving sooner, and now having to basically move at such an incredibly fast rate that the markets aren't going to be able to handle it. Um, two, China needs to get their, their act together regarding COVID. Um, it, it's really not a good backdrop. Um, if they continue their, their current, their current lockdown sort of situation, um, from a growth perspective. Um, and then I think once those things sort of get solved, then, then things look much more interesting and there's, you know, trades to be had after that. But we have, you know, from here to there, there's still, a decent runway. Um, and I think that ultimately leads to, you know, equities continue to have a tough go um, and rates moving lower, not higher. Your observation that China, the lockdowns in China are going to radically slow the economy. What trades does that orient you to? Because it's my understanding that you're actually not short China, right? You actually are long China. Yeah. So we, we I flipped that recently. Um, the beginning of the year, I came in under the assumption, look, China is now going, a leading indicators in China are positive, call it by the back half of this year. Therefore, you should see credit growth come out of China. A lot of, um, a lot of the, the talk out of China has been quite positive in terms of increasing um, sort of fixed asset investment and infrastructure. I had to change that view, though, because the facts changed when they started doing these lockdowns. And the lockdowns are significantly more adverse than the positive potential credit additions that you'll see. We, we had an inflection, I think, in it now. I think it bottomed already, and it should continue higher. But shutting down your economy is materially more powerful than any positive changes in, 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 in credit. So I've, I have some things structured in the options market out a year on some of the Chinese tech names. But um, Long, right? Long. Long, long correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to be quite positive. Um, which maybe you know, from the the traders' perspective, is 
probably maybe the time you buy it. But um, for me, the facts have changed. And until those facts flip in the other way, then it's just, I think it's just a tough risk reward. So going back to the bond market, starting this year, you were short everything, the two-year, the 10-year, the 30-year, everything in between. Now you're essentially long everything. I think I understand why you were long the 10-year and the 30-year the because you think inflation will slow radically. You think growth will slow radically because of what's going on in China. Just bonds are so oversold. I want to hear more more about that position, uh, and then I want to ask a follow up question about the the, the front end actually. But t- tell us a little bit about the long end, the ten year and the thirty year, the Treasury yield. Yeah, so I think I think you know next twelve months growth is 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 moving lower, and during you know negative sort of global growth backdrops, you want to be long bonds um, relative to call up to stocks. Um, if I look out and sort of envision the world the next six to nine months, it's a much different scenario than you know 10 years at 2.8 percent um and if you look at some of the same internals that i was mentioning previously that we helped to use to, to price effectively where, where rates should trade those things are saying you know tens at 2.2 percent from 2.8 today so we've the it's just a natural function of the market nowadays to overshoot significantly in both ways um and i think we've had a material overshoot to the upside that's been facilitated by the Federal Reserve on this crusade to to really dampen inflation. Um, I think they'll ultimately be quite um, quite positive in, in how that, that transpires. Um, a few things that we're seeing on the inflation front indicate that you should see inflation roll over the next, call it next month, um, and trend lower throughout the end of the year, which I think creates a different dynamic from sort of unanchored inflation you're going to have some upside on the, the housing front for the next four to five months. But if you look at some of the leads of housing inflation, it should then peter out. That's going to be offset, however, due, just due to the, the comps and the, the base effects of inflation. Um, and you're starting to see some of the things that have really driven it um, on the good side start to fade. And I think those things continue to fade um, over the next few months. Um, now, there is a scenario where things get crazy with China and things reaccelerate, but that would be in two to three months from now. Um, so in the short term, I think you have an easing on the inflation side um, and a, a clear growth slowdown. Um, and one of the places that you know people have not, if you look at um, you know the move in, let's just call it TLT for example. I believe on the year it was down seventeen or nineteen percent. So seventeen now. Okay, so it was up today about a point. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The move to the low from the high um, over that that time frame or we call it the past 30 days uh the, the probability of that happening is like 20 basis points so the move that you've seen is just incredible um now that move is effectively saying look we think growth inflation are going to be crazy strong and i'm providing a scenario where i think that's likely incorrect based on our leading indicators and what the markets are currently telling me um so for me the long end you know it's, it's quite attractive here from a growth and inflation perspective um, now the risk to that are clearly some of the QT things where you've seen overshoots, uh, historically on, on, on rates from where you would say fair value is. Um, but I think the risk reward on, on bonds here is, is very favorable. Um, which I guess leads me more towards the short end as well, where, you know, what's priced in now to the Fed, to call it the Euro dollar market, um, three, I think 
it was 3.22 yesterday prior to today or two days ago, so it's roughly 3% by the end of this year. Um, and then a few of these option contracts on the twenty on December 2023s are pricing in, call it 3.5%. So I think th- one of the main trades and one of the things I'm most convicted about is the Fed not getting to 3.5%, call it 3, 3.25 by the end of this year. Um, I think if they actualize that, you're going to have a significant move in the equity market, which is sort of why I, I still think equities are, are a tough go. Um, I will say though, a lot of the a lot of the equities themselves have re-rated on the multiple front. Um, the multiples aren't as crazy as they were at all previously. So now the re-rate the the next iteration, if we do have a leg down, would likely come from the earnings side. Um, and if you look at some of the earnings estimates, we're still significantly above where our leading indicators would put them and where I think they should trade given sort of that growth backdrop that I just, just illustrated. Um, so you also on the inflation front, if you, if, if I'm correct in China and China is a huge issue and on the commodity side, you know, China's an unbelievably large driver of, of commodity demand. Um, and that there, therefore lead to, you know, a softening in commodity prices and therefore, some inflation prints. Um, if you look at, interestingly at sort of steel um, production and steel inventories, steel inventories are tracking significantly above where they have over the past three years, um, which to me is effectively saying, look, China's locked down and it's starting to supply, starting to solve some of the supply demand imbalances in a lot of, in a few of these commodities. And I'm not saying it solves all of them, but, um, and I'm not saying over the longer term that it could go, they could go much higher, but to call it the next three to six months, I think you have downside risk probably to commodities emanating out of China, which I don't think a lot of people have fully grasped yet. Um, as China alone, if they continue the current policy, now that could completely change. They could they could pivot and say, look, we're done with this. We're going to just juice and uh, really crank credit. But if they continue the current policy, things are not looking great. So you have a situation where growth slowing um, Inflation likely comes in, especially from a year-on-year basis, um, which which I have a feeling that it will likely change the narrative, especially after it peaks um, and people just pile in the other way. Um, and that leaves the Fed in a position where they're doing the largest tightening we've seen, which a lot of it's already come to the markets, but actualizing that in the face of um, those scenarios happening to me seems seems you know rather difficult. So I think the bias um, for rates, in, I'm not necessarily talking about two-year rates, I'm talking about what's priced in the euro-dollar curve. Um, I think it's much lower from here uh, versus higher. So the risk reward is very, very attractive. So those are sort of the most interesting parts of the market to me. Um, and just, I think, until the Fed changes its, its tone um, on solving inflation, um, which they should have addressed a while ago. I mean, they have a tough job, so, you know, God bless them. Uh, it's definitely not a job I'd ever want. Um, but they're, they're, they've been very clear in their messaging that they're out here to solve this. And by solving for that factor at the, exactly the wrong time, it leads to negative, pretty negative outcomes. But if the Fed doesn't care about those negative outcomes and continues to tighten monetary conditions and raise rates in the face of a... a collapse in asset prices or even a recession, 
doesn't just because you you deserve to make money because you're right about the economy won't you still lose money by by being long the the front end of the yield curve if rates continue to to hike up you know, what do you think will happen that will cause another Powell pivot because to me it seems like we're pretty far away from a Powell pivot where we're we're only one hike into the cycle and mm-hmm. inflation is at eight point five percent like what's the risk that you're a little early Teddy yeah so so I would say there's two different markets one is the act one is what's priced in for where Powell should go mm-hmm. uh, and two is what he actually does so his actualization I think he can get to two percent no problem by the end of this year and they're trying to probably get their ASAP. Um, I think where he ultimately, he's not going to be able to get there because you're going to have an issue in the S&P. Um, and I think his number is probably down 25 to 30. Um, and if they actualize uh, from the high. So, call so we're already 15, 12% there. Yeah, call it another 15 from here. Um, I think if he actualizes what's priced into the curve, you'll be down 30 on the S&P. Um, given the current backdrop, assuming nothing changes out of China. Um, now things change out of China, uh, things get marginally better, but you still have had the largest tightening that we've seen that I've ever seen by far. Um, and that has not come through the numbers yet. Right. So that, that's still, uh, you still have a 12 month runway, minimum 12 month, call it 12 month runway in the U S where things are, should be cycling lower. Um, so I think it's a fair point. Um, you know, he could be even more aggressive, but if they get more aggressive, I think given the backdrop and people, I think the markets are starting to sniff out China. If you've seen Alcoa, if you've seen some of the copper miners, um, if you've seen the Brazilian Real, um, if you've seen the the Chinese industrials um, really, really taking on the chin, the market's starting to sniff out China. Um, and I think once the Fed the market being lower and the Fed starting to recognize that maybe, you know, tamps down their view of where they ultimately get to. I think that's probably two, 2% um, from call it what's priced in right three, three and a half right now. Um, so it's, it's more of just the, it's, it's not saying that he's not going to hike. It's saying he's not going to get as far as he, they think they can. Today's episode is brought to you by bit.com, a leading cryptocurrency trading platform. From spot to futures to options trading and more, Bit.com has it all. So whether you're a seasoned investor or you're new to the game, you need to be on Bit.com. Bit.com has launched a zero-taker-fee option campaign until May 10th. To enroll, email VIP at Bit.com. That's Bit spelled B-I-T. So email VIP at Bit.com and tell them I sent you. So I want to ask, what if you said oil could go to 140, 150. I imagine because oil is such a volatile part of the CPI that on the way there, that causes inflation to spike higher if it happens, of course. So mm-hmm. what if you have 10% inflation in October and housing and rental inflation is ticking up month over month? Uh, do you still think that the Powell put is only 25%? I think yes. Um... I think it, 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 you know, down 25 to 30, there's never been, there's always been a recession when you've been down 30% on the S&P. And just from a, uh, if you look at the relationship of household net worth and consumption, there's an 80% R squared between the two of them. So if the S&P is really getting smoked like that, it's absolutely going to come through the consumption side, um, which will ultimately affect deflation um, to the downside. If crude 
you know, I think the probabilities of crew going 140, 150 have materially lessened from the beginning of the year when I wrote that. Um, and primarily because of some of the actions that the U.S. has taken, but also the, on the demand front from China. It just makes it much more, much more difficult to probably attain some of those things. So if crew goes to 140, 150, I think when growth is people's assumption of growth being strong and okay, that leads to higher rates and the Fed moving, you know, more aggressively and acting more aggressively and sort of pricing that in. However, if people are recognizing that growth is really slowing and you have a a, a shock on 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 the crude front, that's just a double whammy. Um, so I think the probabilities of the probabilities of that leading of a crude move to 140, 150 leading to the Fed getting more hawkish are much less than they have been prior to the past few weeks. That makes sense. So if the two year has quintupled um, uh, since, since we last spoke and it was at 2.7%, now it's actually down 2.50%. What is sort of your 95% confidence interval in terms of how high it would go? Like, what would how high would it have to go where you're saying, "Wow, I, you know, I've been right about everything for the past year. This is the first thing I've gotten wrong. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm wrong." So I think if the two year goes to three and a half percent, three and a half four percent, that would be a big wow. And what would that be? Sorry, in terms of the, the Fed terminal rate, it it, it really depends. Um, I, what the Fed has indicated so far across the majority of participants is that their sort of neutral rate is two, two and a half. And most of the communication has been that they want to get marginally above that, which call it gets you to 3% um, to sort of dampen inflation. Teddy, same question for the 10 year and 30 year. Uh, how high would those have to go? Yeah. I think 10s at 4% would be, would be interesting. Um, if things don't get better on the inflation front, if I'm wrong on the inflation front, then who knows? Maybe we could go there, but four percent on ten years would be um, would be a wow. That would be a wow for you. A big old wow. I <laughs> uh, I think the only person who I've spoken to over the past who who has nailed it as much as you've nailed it over the past four months is Joseph Wang, who used to trade, be uh, uh, senior Fed trader uh, for the New York Fed, and he thinks quantity uh, the ten year note will go to ten percent by the end of the year. It's interesting that you two have different views. Sorry, the tenure will go to 4% by the end of the year. And he thinks that the cause of that will be quantitative tightening. So what do you make of that? You know, the Federal Reserve has to sell one and a half, two trillion dollars worth of treasuries. Selling treasuries typically causes yields to go up, right? Yeah, I think historically you've seen, and there's only been really one instance, but last time that we did QT, you saw a material overshoot in where rates were from, uh, call it our internals model. Um, last time they were roughly 80 basis points, uh, in terms of the overshoot from where we saw fair value at the high. And right now, you know, we're at 60 basis points. So I think 4% is difficult. Um, look, if we didn't have China doing what it's doing, if we didn't have such a tight, quick move in a lot of these rates markets, and if we, and if the markets basically were able to digest this a little easier Then you. I think 4% is a higher probability than what we've seen in terms of what they've done so far and, and, and the swiftness of their moves. 
I think the swiftness of the moves materially reduces the probability we go to 4%. However, if we did, if the actions and what they priced in started earlier and were slower and China was not a factor, then I think 4% could have been in the cards. But given what the market internals are saying right now, like if, look at trucking relative to low vol, all of these things, like banks relative utilities, high beta to low vol, the, you have to listen to the markets. The markets are saying, look, like growth is slowing fast. So if you can't put money, you know, you haven't been able to put hide anywhere, right? And people have been rotating out of bonds into a lot of defensive sectors. So utilities and staples have gone bananas. Where does that money go now? Especially if, if growth, um, if I'm right on the growth backdrop, you know, tech, you know, continues to get, and now they're knocking off the generals. So tech continues to get hit. I think the money is going to rotate back into bonds. Um, and the pain trade is probably likely bonds higher. Um, so, you know, I'm open to it. Um, and it's definitely something I've thought about and I'm continuously thinking about as it relates to how to structure it and where's like the best part to make, make, you know, these trades. Um, but I think the, the growth backdrop right now seems so clear to me that, that it outweighs the QT part, especially given the fact that we have that 60 basis point delta between where we think where the market's pricing 10 year rates and where 10 year rates are today. Could, could we, do you, do you want to reference that, that chart you have, uh, which is, I know it's complicated. So it's a uh, fed monthly quantitative easing purchases versus the U S 30 year rate deviation from per Valley model. Yeah. So effectively what it is, is in the black sort of histogram below, um, that's our internals model. So where we, the market internals are effectively pricing the 10 year rate and where, um, or the 30 year rate, excuse me, and where the 30 year rate is. So when you see significant downside deviations in terms of rates being, uh, when that black histogram is low, that means rates are lower than where, um, where effectively, uh, the market internals are pricing 30 year rates. Um, and that has historically happened during periods of QE. So the big, big discounts that you've seen front with rates relative to, you know, call it banks to utilities, copper to gold, happened during periods of QT, uh, QE. However, on periods of QT, you see a material overshoot to the upside. And we've only had really one sort of uh, event so far. Um, and I think you're, you were in the middle of that overshoot to the upside, which now is about 60 basis points. Um, you know, now you're not going to have to see that on the chart because it's an old chart, but roughly, uh, given what I'm telling you, it, it's 60, roughly 60 basis points. So it's positive um, now positive by 60 basis points. So it's plus 60. Okay, wow. So now we're rates have significantly overshot where some of the market internals, you know, price fair value for, for growth and inflation. So you said that the federal reserve, you don't think they're going to get to three and a half percent. You think they might be get to 2.0%. What about, so that's one, that's the, the price of money. What about the quantity of money via quantitative tightening? The Federal Reserve plans on rolling over its balance sheet by $95 billion. I, I think 60 of tre 65 of treasuries and 30 of mortgage-backed securities, I could be off by $5 billion. Um, how far do you think they're going to get into, into that? And, and how much of a balance sheet do you think they'll be able to roll over before they have to start stop QE or start QE again? Uh, S&P down 25. So I think they're going to just keep going till S&P goes down 25 to break this thing. Um, it was interesting. Sarah Eisen asked Powell in his little communique the other day 
or their little panel discussion, like, are you targeting the stock market to go lower? And he, he, he bopped around it, but you can see he was sort of, you know, jolted back. Do you need the stock market to be lower to well, impact I, demand? You know, we, I, we wouldn't, I never would point to one particular price or asset or class of assets, but generally the way our policy works is we, we control one overnight rate plus the balance sheet also has some effects. But, and that affects broader financial conditions, and that includes asset prices, includes credit availability, risk spreads, all, all kinds of financial conditions. Uh, and, and the financial conditions, in the end, those are what affect the real economy. So we monitor financial conditions. So there really are two steps there. And, you know, you're, it, one of the many, there, there are many different uh, uh, combinations that are possible of, of financial conditions, and we have seen some tightening. From our, uh, you know, from our rate increases, and that's to be expected. I think, I think they're just going to keep going until it breaks. Um, and you know, for example, we were down twenty on the Nasdaq when Powell came out for his, his last meeting, and was one of the most hawkish he's ever been um, in terms of his communication. Markets ultimately bounced because everyone was significantly short into that. Um, but he didn't flinch at down 20 on the NASDAQ. I think we were down call it 15 at the time on the S&P. Didn't flinch. So down 25 to 30, I think, is the point where they stopped doing some of this. You know, And, and I think it's also it's interesting how steadfast he's been because he was one of the original members um, that told Bernanke, look, we got to chill out and we should taper. And that led to the taper tantrum. And then he had the autopilot communique. Um, in December of 2018, that led to you know a 19% move or 18% move lower in the S&P, and now he's going three for three, third time's a charm, um, where he's really, really hammering it. Um, so I think you know he 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 also has sort of a uh, political um, tailwind behind him too, where the administration is like, look, so you need to solve inflation. So he, he sort of has the green light to, to tighten financial conditions as much as possible. And we have an internal financial conditions index that we've built out that I think is much better than Goldman's, given a couple of different things, um, components in it, uh, that, and theirs are a little more lagging. Um, and we are seeing some of the tightest financial conditions that we've seen um, ex-COVID uh, over the past decade. So there's really? been a material, material tightening. In, in what's going on under the surface um, that I think is going to, to continue to come through equities and probably credit spreads. Teddy, I want to paint a scenario for you where over the next two weeks, your dream scenario plays out. Bonds rally and stocks crash so that the S&P 500, I guess it crashes 13% more so that it's about 25 to 30% uh, from its all-time highs in terms of a drawdown. That's the Powell put, uh, which is which is what you say. But do you really think that Powell is going to uh, signal some dovishness even if we haven't hit peak inflation yet? I think it's going to be very difficult uh, for Powell to backtrack on, on on the current path, especially when we're one to two hikes in, into the, the, the hiking cycle. Um, I think it's going to take time for inflation to come lower. Um, I can see it settling at 35 to 4.5% by the end of this year. And likely staying in that in that vicinity uh, throughout the next year, although that's contingent on sort of the Fed's response at that period of time. Um, but I think it's very difficult for him to pivot and be dovish when we're you know seeing these inflation prints and we're seeing um, 
we've only you know hiked one or two times in the cycle um so i think his bias has to be negative and you know down i think down 30 percent maybe he says look or down 25 30 he says look we break even inflation expectations have come down significantly we've sort of broken inflation's back and we expect that to come through the markets over the next few months supply chains look to be getting better you know make something up so i think he could find something down 30 you're definitely gonna break evens coming in a lot um he'll find something to to, to look towards but it's tough for him unless break even inflation expectations come down for him to really pivot and what do you do if that actually happens teddy I think you you buy gold gold and gold miners. Um, I think you buy gold and gold miners, and I think that it sets off a period of, of lower dollar weakness, assuming that China irons itself out. If China can iron itself out, it creates a very clear picture um, for the dollar and more so gold. Um, I think inflation likely stays at a higher level um, due to some longer-term sort of commodity imbalances due to underinvestment and call it the oil patch. And creates a very, very positive backdrop for gold and gold miners. Um, so that's sort of the first place that I'd be looking. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm looking and starting to do some work on a basket of growth names. Um, probably the same stuff that I've been short for the past year and a half. But um, things that probably do better with lower interest rates and could outperform on a relative basis, assuming that he makes his pivot. Like the Qs or ARKK? Like yeah, that. more of the really beaten down stuff. I'm, I'm in the process of designing the basket, but things that I probably want to own for longer than 12 months that also right. have a positive tailwind on that front, on the right front. Everything you said over the past three minutes has been in the condition if stocks crash, causing another power pivot. In the scenario that we are right now, Teddy, where that has not happened yet, how do you think about gold and gold miners? So we were very long coming into the beginning of the year um, under the assumption that one, China is re-accelerating the dollar would move lower i think the, the the communication from the fed and where they ultimately want to get to basically prove that view incorrect so we took off the position um fortunately at a profit but i think it's tough for from a tightening perspective you know you, you typically don't want to own gold or, or the miners or the minor equities when you have a material tightening in some of the financial conditions um so i i'm I'm hesitant right now, but they've come off a lot, um, and I'm playing around with it. Um, they're probably overtrading it and overthinking about it too much, but I just want to be uh, careful given sort of the current backdrop. Got you. Teddy, for as long as I've known you, you've been very constructive on crypto, and I was speaking with you, I think, last summer, and that's when you got really into Solana, which has obviously turned out really well. But this environment that you're painting, you say that uh, rapidly deteriorating liquidity is bad for crypto. Tell me about that and how you balance this. You have a view about liquidity, which you say is bad for crypto versus long term. You're pretty unless you've changed. I think you're pretty bullish, right? Yeah, I think crypto is one of those things that you just need to own. So the way that we're dealing with it is we've just sized it accordingly. So it's one of our smallest over the past called six months has been one of the smallest allocations we've had to it. It's still called four to five percent. Um, but we've just taken it down to, to be wary of the, the backdrop. The more work I do it on in terms of liquidity, uh, also the Chinese liquidity cycle, um, there's a really, really, really high correlation in terms of where the returns come from, drawdowns during different periods of time. And, uh, and right now is just not the time to, you know, be playing around and sizing it. Um, you know, it could go up a lot and it'd be great. I mean, I'd make money on that, but 
from a risk reward perspective, you always just want to, you know, be thinking about the balance of probabilities and the balance of probabilities that are flat or down for me versus, you know, great conditions to be, you know, max position. Um, I think that opportunity comes later in this year. So we're doing, I'm starting to do a lot more work there, getting ready for, um, for when that time comes. To play devil's advocate, Teddy, wasn't the last Fed hiking cycle, uh, 2016, 2017, wasn't, wasn't, didn't that witness like a huge crypto bull run that, you know, most people who are into crypto are into it because of that, you know, you know, Bitcoin went from, I don't know, you know, low hundreds to 20,000 when the Fed was tightening. Yeah. So, so if you think back to that time, we really, I think you have to think about it from a, a relative tightening perspective. Um, so I would say our leading indicators of liquidity and liquidity itself, if you think about Fed tightening cycle, right, it doesn't happen right away as it relates to liquidity. It typically comes through liquidity called 12 to 14 months after. Um, so the Fed tightening then, when did crypto top? December, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you think about, um, if you think about when rates started to rise in 2016, um, that ultimately affected the liquidity conditions 18 months later, right? So 18 months later after called February, March of 2016 is when crypto topped, which would have been 18 months from the time that rates bottoms. So the, it doesn't necessarily mean the, it's the, not necessarily the Fed's hiking cycle. It's how it, the Fed's hiking cycle affects liquidity at the time. And I think so liquidity from 16 when, when markets bottom through the end of almost 18 and Bitcoin actually corresponds and leads some of the stuff through the end of uh, the beginning of 18. I think January 18 is when the equity market topped out that, that period was very positive for liquidity. Um, and I can, I'll send you a chart that we can put in here. Um, and that, that sort of shows that, but I would think of it differently from the fed, the feds movement versus the feds movement in turn affecting what the what the future looks like for liquidity and if i if i'm thinking about what's a what's a positive liquidity environment it's when the fed has already cut and rates are moving lower that allows you know banks like for more capital to start coming through the economy and we haven't even seen the 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 rates lower piece now that's not to say certain projects and protocols could just absolutely moon um that's completely possible but from a macro perspective how i view the asset from an allocation viewpoint it's just the, the risk reward is just not amazing to me got it uh well teddy thanks for coming on sharing your perspective uh people who want to follow your work uh can follow you on twitter at Prevalley global uh where, where can people find you if they if they you know want to learn more about your fund yeah you can uh, go to our website prevalleyglobal.com or you can reach out to me um on twitter or uh, shoot us an email wonderful well teddy thanks so much Thanks, Jack. Talk to you soon.